get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Wednesday, February 14th, 2024. You're listening to a special holiday edition of the Beijing Hour coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China's Spring Festival box office is booming with more than 5 billion yuan in ticket sales since Saturday. People celebrating the holiday have been flocking to a traditional fair in Chengdu, Sichuan province. And there are fears over the possible consequences of an Israeli ground attack in Rafa. And finally, people living near the world's largest tropical wetland in Brazil are learning how to coexist with jaguars. In the second half, we'll have the story of an Italian woman who followed Marco Polo's footsteps and retraced the Silk Road. First of all, the day's top stories. China's holiday movie market is booming. According to box office tracker Dungta Data, the Spring Festival box office has topped 5 billion yuan since February the 10th, and that's close to 700 million US dollars. The main lineup consists of six new domestic films, and YOLO remains the highest grossing film with over 1.7 billion yuan. Sichuan province is hosting a wide variety of celebrations and events over the week-long holiday. In the provincial capital, a traditional fair has attracted thousands of local and foreign tourists. Zheng Songwu reports. Chengdu's Wuhouzi, or Wuhou Shrine Museum, commemorates Liu Bei and Zhuge Liang's roles as king and minister of the Shu Kingdom almost 2,000 years ago. Today it's also a temple hosting traditional celebrations over the Spring Festival. A big affair combining tradition and technology is being held at Wuhouzi. Travelers here can learn Chinese traditions and history. It's just in the middle of the week-long holiday, but over 100,000 people have already visited. The fair has been held annually in Wuhou Shrine Museum since 2005. This year, there are lantern shows, sacrifices for ancestors and artistic performances. The lanterns combine traditional artistic skills with augmented reality. The fair provides an opportunity to taste the local food and experience the Sichuan opera while also promoting Chinese culture. We all celebrate our spring festival, thus we highlight its atmosphere, customs and traditions. Of course, the three kingdom culture like loyalty, Tenacity and virtue is also a core part of traditional Chinese culture. So we hope visitors will feel the power of our culture through this fear. For those who know little about the history and the culture of Sichuan province, the annual event is a highly educational experience. We came here with our friend who's from China and we visited Chengdu, I think mainly because of the pandas. and. It's really interesting. This is like completely new to me. It's my first time in Asia, so really new experience and very nice to see. Yeah, it's very interesting. We tried a lot of different food and we learned a lot about the history as well. So yeah, it's very good. It's our first full day in Chengdu today. So yeah, it's been a really nice day. I came here to learn because I don't know much about the culture here, including Chengdu's and even Sichuan's. The natural scenery and traditional custom here are profound. Organizers remain true to local spring festival traditions, but continue to look for ways to innovate. 
One result is an increasingly younger crowd, with many flocking to the temple this year, despite having more and more options to celebrate the holiday season. That was Jung Songwoo in Chengdu. Teachers and students at Lincoln High School in the U.S. state of Washington have said they were elated after receiving Chinese New Year greetings from Chinese President Xi Jinping and his wife Peng Liyuan. Montserrat Romero Roca is one of the students who said they were surprised to receive the response. I wasn't really thinking that he would go and take time out of his day to like respond to a bunch of high school students, but it was amazing that he did, and it just kind of felt like. Wow! Like he sees us and he acknowledges us, and he really wants to keep this relationship going. President Xi and Pang recently replied to a Chinese New Year greeting card from the Lincoln High School students and teachers, inviting them to China.、Uh, Ron Chao is co-chair of the U.S.-China Youth and Student Exchange Association.、Uh, Chao said the upcoming exchange activities in China will be an eye-opening opportunity for the students. The young people, the younger generation. Had their opportunity, and that's something that we're really hoping for. It's not for us. We just try to do our best to give them a better opportunity, a better chance to understand the world. Last November, President Xi announced in San Francisco that China is willing to invite 50,000 young Americans to China on exchange and study programs in the next、uh, few years. Lincoln High School is one of the first American schools to participate in the program, and the first group of teachers and students will travel to several Chinese cities in March. China's small and medium-sized enterprises reported an improvement in business performance in January. The Small and Medium Enterprises Development Index is based on a survey of 3,000 SMEs from eight major industries, and it came in at 89.2 last month. That's up from 89 in the previous month and higher than the reading from a year earlier. An industry report attributes the increase to accelerated production at the beginning of the year and warming consumer demand ahead of Spring Festival. But despite Improved market demand and sales. The report says SMEs continue to face high costs. Official data shows China's shipbuilding businesses、uh, posted significant increases in combined profits and revenue last year, with improving global competitiveness. According to the China Association of the National Shipbuilding Industry, profits surged 132 percent to nearly 26 billion yuan, or more than 3.6 billion U.S. dollars. Their main business revenue stood at nearly 624 billion yuan, a gain of 20 percent. In 2023, multiple companies were on global top 10. Lists in terms of output, new orders, and holding orders. The China State Shipbuilding Corporation ranked first globally in all major shipbuilding indexes. And more and more young entrepreneurs in China are exploring are exploring sustainable practices in business, from、uh, the lively world of secondhand treasures to the inventive field of plastics recycling. These young innovators are reshaping the business landscape for a, a greener future. Wang Zhang reports. It's a cozy Sunday afternoon, and people are gathering in a 30 square meter space right in the center of Beijing to swap and pick their favorite stuff. Necklaces, clothes, digital gadgets, and dolls are all on display, waiting for new owners to take them home. When talking about the second-hand market in China, the online platform Xianyu takes the spotlight. Widely recognized for its diverse selection of used goods, but things are changing as more shops and weekend markets are popping up in China, 
repurposing items that were once left unused and promoting the idea of sustainability. 30-year-old Lu Ergo has organized the Sunday market 20 times. He opened a physical store in central Beijing. I believe that opening this store in the central commercial area could help Beijing become more accepting and supportive of the sustainable second-hand culture as a whole. Official data shows that in 2020, the scale of domestic second-hand transactions in China exceeded 1 trillion yuan, or more than 140 billion US dollars. And by 2025, this figure is expected to triple to 3 trillion yuan. Lu's store is one of the business models embraced by young entrepreneurs within the green economy. But there's more than just turning someone's unused items into another's treasures. Waste itself is undergoing transformative changes. Young talents in China are contributing their skills to turn discarded items into innovative and useful products, ready to re-enter the market. Have you ever wondered about the recycling process for bottles? Can they actually become entirely new products? The answer is a definite yes. Lun Jiayu and Si Si Chao are two young entrepreneurs who are recycling plastic bottles and using them to make clothes, backpacks, and even materials for architecture. We're really proud to show our customers that this clothing is made from 12 plastic bottles. Some people find it pretty magical, like how can hard plastic turn into such soft clothing? Others might have concerns about how clean and safe it is. It sparked a lot of curiosity and discussions among people, and I think that's a good thing. Recycling in China has been booming since the 1980s thanks to government support. Over the last decade, a staggering 170 million tons of plastic waste have been recycled, making China a global leader in this field. Initially, people began recycling to make extra money, but now caring for the environment has become the main reason. A study by consulting firm Kantar has found that 64% of Chinese consumers care about resource waste affecting the environment and prefer eco-friendly products. How to turn the concept of sustainability into tangible consumption is the key to the green economy. Professor Wei Xiang at the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences explains. The common misconception is that green businesses should be more expensive for consumers. They should actually be more affordable, showing our dedication to developing technology and expanding market potential, rather than relying on consumers' environmental awareness to drive up prices. He also says from his observation, the government is committed to backing small businesses in the green economy. This growing market continues to attract more and more young talents, mostly involved in small and medium-sized enterprises that play a crucial role in China's green and low-carbon development. These firms contribute to a substantial 70% to technological innovation in this field.
The exploration of sustainability initiatives in China shows that it's evident that the pursuit of a greener future is gaining momentum. From government support to the resilience of young entrepreneurs, the commitment to environmental well-being is shaping a new narrative. As more people learn about it, including our own efforts, we want to make recycling and sustainability more popular in society. It's great to see more people getting involved now. Everyone is making small changes. When people ask what sustainability is, I believe that sustainability is a culture itself. After developing our own technology in China, we hope to share it with other countries, helping more people achieve sustainability. That was a report from Wang Zihang on uh, the sustainable practices of young people in China. Coming up, growing concerns from around the world for a possible Israeli ground offensive in Rafa. Hey everyone, Jason Smith here, host of The Bridge. Hey guys, this is He Yang with Roundtable. This is Xu Yawen with World Today. May the year of the Chinese dragon bring you a tide of strength, success, and good fortune. May you be great and unstoppable as a dragon soaring through the oceans. And I want to wish you, your families, and loved ones good luck, happiness, and prosperity in the new year. I would like to wish you and may you achieve great success in your endeavors. Happy Chinese New Year! Fourteen minutes past the hour. Fears of a looming Israeli ground operation in Rafah are growing among more than a million Palestinians forced into the densely crowded border city. Hamas says the Israeli bombing in Rafah on Monday killed around 100 people, including children. This has forced many displaced Gazans seeking refuge in the south to flee once again. At nearly two, we were sleeping as usual, and there was little sun. Then, all of a sudden, we found out the tents turned red, and there was an insane amount of strikes from all directions. When we left the tent, we found injured people everywhere. We escaped the north with empty hands. Then we escaped kind units with almost empty hands. We don't want to repeat that another time. We want to be ready this time. Israel's been bombarding Rafah with airstrikes for weeks and says it's committed to a ground offensive as the alternative is to surrender to Hamas and to sacrifice the Israeli people held hostage in Gaza. World leaders have urged Israel to listen to the international community's warnings against the dangerous consequences of a ground invasion. U.S. President Joe Biden calls for a credible plan to ensure safety and support for the displaced Gazan residents. Major military operation in Rafa should not proceed without a credible plan, a credible plan for ensuring the safety and support of more than one million people sheltering there. Many people there have been displaced, displaced multiple times, fleeing the violence to the north, and now they're packed into Rafa. EU foreign policy chief Joseph Borrell has doubts for the Israel planned evacuation in Rafa. They're going to evacuate. Where? To the moon? Why are they going to evacuate these people? So if the international community believes that this is a slaughter, that too many people are being killed, 
maybe they have to think about the provision of arms. Chief Prosecutor Kareem Khan with the International Criminal Court says his office is actively investigating any crimes allegedly committed by Israel. Where do they go? That is a question I'm asking myself. It's a question that uh, the United Nations is asking. It's what the UNRWA is asking. It's what the Secretary General is asking. And I think it's an issue that every commander and government of official in Israel need to ask. I'm not going to say any more because we have an active investigation. But I, as I said repeatedly since last year, comply with the law now. But don't complain later. China's called on Israel to stop its military operations and do everything possible to avoid civilian casualties. The World Food Program says the escalating violence, arrests, and movement restrictions across the West Bank are increasingly impacting the lives of hundreds of thousands. Marika Guderian is the WFP Palestine Deputy Country Director. The official says Palestinians have been losing their work permits in Israel, resulting in many being unable to leave the West Bank. With the war in Gaza, shops are impacted People are impacted because of the food prices. They don't have jobs anymore. And so even before the crisis, we already struggled with funding and the needs were high. Now the needs are even much higher. Commercial activities in the West Bank are reduced as a result of the growing violence. WFP has said an increased Israeli military presence, an increase of checkpoints and movement restrictions for the Palestinian population are further deteriorating an already poor economic and dire humanitarian situation. The UN agency said the gross domestic products dropped in the last three months of 2023 by over 20 percent. The U.S. House of Representatives has voted to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas after a failed attempt last week. The House approved two articles of impeachment accusing Mayorkas of not enforcing U.S. immigration laws, which Republicans argue led to record flows of migrants across the U.S.-Mexico border. Poppy Imputing reports. Hardline Republicans have successfully won a vote to impeach Mayorkas after failing to get enough votes last week. With a slim majority uh, in the House, it was a close battle as some moderate Republicans refused to toe the party line, but they pushed through by a margin of just one vote. Republicans managed to swing the impeachment vote in their favor with the help of Majority Leader Steve Scalise, who wasn't present in the chamber last week to cast his yes vote as he was still undergoing cancer treatment. Border security is a hot-button issue as the U.S. presidential campaign heats up, and one that former President Donald Trump is particularly vocal about, vowing over the weekend to initiate a mass deportation effort on his first day in office if elected. Now, despite his strong words about the U.S.'s porous border, Trump pushed his party to hamstring Democratic funding efforts. In a seemingly counterintuitive move just last week, GOP senators tanked a bipartisan bill that sought to provide a broad financial package for Israel and Ukraine, as well as funding for the border. Now, that move, as well as initiating this impeachment vote against Mayorkas, is part of a dual strategy to blame Democrats for the migrant crisis and strategically block border funding initiatives, maintaining an air of chaos as border security is a critical political card for Trump to play as he campaigns to be re-elected in November. 
Now the issue now goes to the Senate to decide whether to convict Mayorkas. While this impeachment is a political blemish on the Homeland Security Secretary, charges will most certainly be dismissed in the majority Democrat chamber. That was Poppy Mputing on the impeachment of the U.S. Homeland Security Secretary. The latest numbers show U.S. inflation is continuing to drop towards the central bank's target range. But some costs remain high, such as housing and eating out. As Owen Faircloth reports, that could in part explain why the overall slowdown in inflation doesn't appear to be helping President Joe Biden. For Joe Biden, the latest inflation numbers should be a gift as he tries to win a second presidential term on his economic record. The U.S. president addressing local government leaders on Monday just hours before January's inflation data showed prices increasing by 3.1 percent on an annual basis. That's a drop on December and testament to how policymakers defied expectations by reducing inflation running at more than 9 percent in the summer of 2022 without derailing the economy. And it's a global trend, according to the International Monetary Fund. The world economy is now poised for this soft landing we have been dreaming uh, for. Even so, polls suggest not all voters are feeling these positive economic indicators touted by Biden. While the cost of groceries has dropped, the cost of restaurant dining climbed more than 5% last month, and consumers are noticing. Fast food chain McDonald's admitted prices it raised by double digits over each of the past two years have been deterring lower-income families. And that persistent, if somewhat isolated, inflation is one reason the U.S. Federal Reserve isn't quite ready to start reducing the benchmark interest rate it ramped up to drive down inflation towards its 2% target. That was Owen Faircloth reporting. Coming up, protecting jaguar habitat in Brazil. Hello there, this is Ge Anna, your host of Road Today. Hey there, I'm your host Wang Sahan with the Beijing Hour. As I eagerly await the arrival of my little dragon, I want to share a heartfelt blessing with all the moms and their babies' bundles of joy. For the year of the Chinese dragon, I'd like to wish you pian ruo jing hong, wan ruo you long. That's to say that I wish you the grace of startled swan and the wandering dragon in 2024. May the year of the Chinese dragon bring you strength, wisdom, and endless moments of bliss. Wish you and your precious ones a truly enchanting year ahead. Hi, this is Zhuyun. May you find the hidden dragon in yourself in the year of the Chinese dragon. Be there with me at the chat lounge. Happy Chinese New Year. At 23 minutes past the hour, in Brazil's Pantanal wetlands, habitat losses worsened the conflict between jaguars and humans. Locals are making efforts to coexist with unique species in America while developing ecotourism. Lei Shengping, Lei Zhengyue, and Ma Jiayi have visited a major jaguar habitat to find out the status of conservation. Lei Shengping has this report from Sao Paulo. The Pantanal is the world's largest wetland but over 19% of it is now used for farming and livestock breeding. The degradation of habitat has forced the jaguars to attack domestic animals such as cattle and sheep as their wild prey diminishes, escalating the conflict between jaguars and humans. In Joffre, where there are 10 large farms, each exceeding 10,000 hectares, people are striving to coexist with jaguars. One of the farms has relocated farther away from jaguar habitats. 
Farm manager Eliseu says after the relocation and the, the installation of electric fences, the number of cattle killed by jaguars every year has fallen from 20 to just two. I installed an electric fence, which ensures the safety of the cattle at night. When the fence is electrified, jaguars dare not enter the cattle pens. We used to have many issues with jaguars, but by experimenting with this method, our aim is to reduce conflicts between farmers and jaguars. In Joffre, residents are also joining efforts to protect the jaguars. They organized volunteer teams to rescue jaguars and make earnings through jaguar-themed tourism. Yuka has bought a water buffalo, which locals believe can deter jaguars. Now he tethers the buffalo outside his house. Now our goal is to take care of jaguars and not mistreat them. When conflict arises between jaguars and humans, we immediately seek help from environmental police or animal protection organizations. We have installed wire mesh outside our homes to prevent conflicts with jaguars. In the Pantanal, there are 6 to 12 jaguars per 100 square kilometers, higher than the level in countries like Colombia and Peru. Besides the government, animal conservation organizations are also making contribution. Fernando is the coordinator of the Brazil Office of Panthera, an international animal rescue organization. The office has established a research institute in Joffrey, dedicated to protecting jaguars and sharing knowledge and skills in various forms. The biggest threat to jaguar conservation comes from conflicts with rangers. Therefore, we are working to understand how to manage cattle herds and explore ways to reduce attacks on them, minimizing the losses caused by jaguars. Regarding tourism, we are striving to find the right approach for sightseeing tours, cooperating with guides, tour companies, and hotel operators. Jaguar tourism has become a pillar industry in Joffrey, creating jobs and more importantly, making locals realize the value of protecting jaguars. Most of the over 100 local families are relying on Jaguar tourism. Siago's family runs a guest house, providing accommodation and tour guide services. They are planning to expand the business facing the increasing demand. Uh, a demand Tourist demand for Jaguar tours is increasing. The period from August to December is the peak season, with many visitors from China, Japan and other places coming to see Jaguars. They prefer boat trips. Without Jaguars, there will be no local ecotourism. Statistics show that ecotourism brings roughly up to 10 million US dollars annually. So far, the number of guest houses and the hotel base in this small town has increased by 14% compared to the pre-COVID-19 levels. For the Beijing Hour, this is Li Xiangping.
Authorities in Argentina say a fire that's been burning for 20 days in a national park in the south has destroyed more than 8,200 hectares of uh, the nature reserve. More than 330 firefighters and volunteers are battling that blaze at the Los Alerces National Park, known for its thousand-year-old larch field. The blaze began on January 25th, and judicial authorities have reportedly been looking into the possibility of arson. Founded in 1937, the park is a UNESCO Natural World Heritage Site. We're at 28 past the hour, Beijing down to minus 2 this evening. Thursday, we'll see sunny skies and a high of 9 degrees. Nanchung's at 12 tonight, then a light rainfall in 13. Uh, elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad is down to 8 this evening. It's sunny and 26 on Thursday. VNTN 17 overnight, then overcast in 33. Phnom Penh's down to 23 degrees, a light rain and 34 tomorrow. Uh, in Africa, Nairobi is getting overcast conditions and a high of 29 degrees on Thursday. Uh, Kampala is at 20 overnight, then a light rainfall and 24 tomorrow. Juba has 28 degrees uh, tonight. Tomorrow's a light rain and 39. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. In the second half will tell the story of an Italian woman who followed Marco Polo's footsteps and retraced the Silk Road. Making news today, the China Spring Festival box office is booming. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. German Railway Company Deutsche Director of the International Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, 你好, or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. From north to south, east to west, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. July 14th, Ri'an, a small city 40 kilometers away from China's eastern coastal city, Wenzhou. Gabriella Bonino, an Italian, tells the driver the destination of a journey in fluent Mandarin Chinese. Living in China for almost 37 years, Mandarin Chinese comes natural to her. 
I am Tang Yun from Italy. Gabriella Bonino is my Italian name. I came to China rather early in 1987, and I'm still here. Gabriella is better known in China as Tang Yun. She adopts the Chinese surname Tang out of a love for poems from the Tang Dynasty, which ruled the country a thousand years ago, and the first name Yun or Clouds from the great poet Li Bai's famous line, "At dawn I left Bai Di enwrapped in clouds aglow." She's also known as the contemporary female Marco Polo, as she traveled far and wide in China and writes about the country emphatically. She even followed Marco Polo's footsteps and retraced the Silk Road. Today, Gabriella needs to go to Wenzhou to check out the latest progress on the excavation of the city's Shuomen ancient port from an archaeologist. This new archaeological finding will take up an important chapter in the book she's currently working on, which is about China's ancient international trade routes via the sea, known today as Maritime Silk Road. The second chapter of my new book mainly deals with excavation of ancient shipwrecks on this route. I've been paying special attention to the excavation of the Wenzhou Shuomen ancient port from the very beginning. I've been following news on its progress, and I was lucky enough to have visited the excavation site twice. Two sunken ships have been uncovered there. I wrote about shipwrecks, but apart from the South China Sea Number One shipwreck, I've seen very few of them. And now these two ships have been uncovered right under my nose. The trip from Rian to Wenzhou takes more than an hour's drive, so we start to chat randomly. Wenzhou is a migratory city. A lot of overseas Chinese now living in Italy were originally from Wenzhou. After I've moved to Wenzhou, people often ask me, "Where are you from?" And I answer, "Italy." And they'd be like, "Ah, my sons and daughters are all in Italy, or my relatives are in Italy," and they genuinely welcome me, an Italian living in their city. So I'm quite popular here. Gabriella came to China, a young girl who was fascinated by the Chinese language, classic poetry, arts, and culture. After some time studying Mandarin Chinese at a university in Beijing, she worked as a journalist and radio host in the Chinese capital. Over two decades of reporting and hosting shows about China, its economic and societal changes, its people, arts, and culture, lent Gabriella a profound understanding and insight into the country. She likes to explore the local hutongs or alleyways to know more about genuine local life and culture. Even today, at age 70, she still rides a bicycle to different corners of Rian City if the weather's not too hot. All these experiences have become material for her first book, The Chinese Journal of Contemporary Female Marco Polo, published in 2010. Subsequently, in 2015, she penned another book, Discovering the Silk Road: 
from camels to highways, which details her travels and findings along the overland Silk Road, once traveled by famous 13th-century Italian explorer Marco Polo. After that, she moved to Wenzhou and Rian in Zhejiang Province. She wrote two more books, Discovering Wenzhou and Rian's Intangible Cultural Heritages. Both books are mainly about local arts, crafts, and traditions. I asked her how she started to write so many books about China. When I'm in a place, I particularly enjoy exploring it and introducing it to my fellow Italians, as I used to do when I was hosting a radio program in Beijing. Now I no longer work in radio. I write articles to share my experience of China, the interesting people I met, and the interesting stories with Italians. I've been in China for almost 37 years. I see it as my mission to share my life in China, things I encountered here with Italians, to let them learn more about China, because there's not too much information about China in the West. Most news focuses on things like official policies of China, but rarely on the lives of the common people. Which is why my books about Wenzhou and Rian's intangible cultural heritage have found their popularity among Italian readers. We are now in Wenzhou. Before we meet with an archaeological expert at the Wenzhou Museum, Gabriella takes us to her favorite research and hangout spot. The Jiangxinyu Island, a tiny island sitting in the middle of Ojiang River that winds through Wenzhou. Across the river is the Shuman Ancient Seaport excavation site, which is temporarily closed to the public. As our ferry draws closer to this mini island in the middle of the Ojiang River, two ancient towers on the island jump into our sight. You see the two Buddhist pagodas with the Jiangxin Si Temple in between them. The pagoda on this side was built during the Tang Dynasty period. It's the one with a banyan tree growing on top of it. It's got a longer history. That one on the other tip of the island was built later during the Northern Song Dynasty. Many great poets from ancient times visited this island, and they left us quite a few famous poems about the two pagodas and the tiny island, including Meng Haoran, Han Yu, and Xie Lingyun. Tang and Song dynasties ruled China more than 1,000 years and 900 years ago, respectively. So the two pagodas have been quietly standing there for nearly a thousand years, witnessing Wenzhou's glorious past as a major port for maritime trade. Now standing at the foot of the Tang Dynasty pagoda on the island, we learned that the two pagodas have not just been witnesses of Wenzhou's ancient maritime trade history. But two great players too. They are Buddhist pagodas, but had also served as lighthouses. Wenzhou is an ancient port city. In fact, it has been a very important seaport on the ancient maritime trade route for exporting celadon from Longchuan kilns. Back then, when ships sailing to the Ojiang River from the East China Sea saw these two pagodas, 
They knew they would be safe arriving at Wenzhou Port. They knew they were on the right route, and they wouldn't run aground or wreck on a rock if they cruised along at the guidance of the lighthouses. Wenzhou has a history of over 1,000 years. Its rise as an important ancient maritime trade port is closely linked with the export trade of celadon from Qums in Longquan. These are ceramics with a distinctive green-blue glaze, coupled with intricate inlaid ornamentation, and for centuries had been the desirable porcelain choice for the wealthy and nobility worldwide in ancient times. Longquan city is located in the upper reaches of the Ojiang River, quite close to Wenzhou. So Celadon porcelain could be ferried here through the Ojiang River. From here, they boarded big ships and were exported overseas to Southeast Asia, the Ottoman Empire, and the countries around the Mediterranean Sea. We talk about globalization and global trade today. In fact, China's porcelain had already been exported to Southeast Asia, the Arabian world, and the Mediterranean Sea back then. Chinese silk and tea were also part of the trade. So perhaps the first commodities exported in large quantities would have been China's porcelain, silk, and tea. Pointing towards a great building across the river on the other bank, Gabriela says it is the excavation site of the Sherman Ancient Port, which has been shortlisted as one of the nation's top 10 major archaeological discoveries of 2022. The site was discovered at the end of 2021 during road repair work. Excavations include historical sites of docks from the Song, Yuan, Ming, and Qing dynasties, two shipwrecks from the Song dynasty period, the foundations of surrounding building structures, wooden pavements of the ancient port, and the remains of the ancient barbican of Wenzhou. They've also excavated huge piles of broken pieces of porcelain, mostly celadons. Basically, that's the site of a complete ancient port of 1,000 years old. Ancient port sites of such completeness and long history haven't been found anywhere else in the country, not even in the whole world. That makes it a very valuable archaeological finding. A lot of the excavated items are housed in a special exhibition room at the Wenzhou Museum. And that is our next destination. The weather is steamy hot. Under the scorching sun, we arrived at Wenzhou Museum, where Gabriella is to meet an archaeologist who's part of the excavation team of the Sherman Ancient Port Project to see if there have been any new findings. This time, 
Our biggest excavation is that we found nine ancient wolves, which is the largest in number countrywide. These wolves are mainly of three types, including slope wolves, staircase-style wolves, and platform-style wolves. The large number of wolves is closely linked to Wenzhou's robust trade at that time. The speaker is Wu Xianjun, archaeologist from Wenzhou Institute of Cultural Relics and Archaeology, who is part of the Sherman Ancient Ports Excavation Team. He is the person Gabriella is to meet today. At a special room, various types of excavation items from Sherman Ancient Port are displayed in sections. Porcelains, lacquerware, ancient coins, seashells and seeds, etc. Strong air conditioning is working to maintain the right temperature for these relics. Gabriella and Wu stop in front of large amount of broken saladum pieces. Here at this spot, we excavated two large heaps of broken porcelain. That's the result of damage incurred during the transportation process from Longquan to Wenzhou. They were thrown there in clusters and gradually formed these two huge piles. The heap on this section mainly came from porcelain shipments for East and Southeast Asia. And these ones were made to suit the lifestyle of the Middle East region. But don't you think that there seem to be just too many damaged items? Damage was unavoidable then, and it might have been substantial at times. Longquan is located at the upper reaches of Ojiang River. That section had rapids and dangerous shoals that could lead to stranding and even shipwrecks. At different stages, the overseas destinations of Celadons varied. Overall, it went farther and farther away to other parts of the world. By the Yuan dynasty around the 13th century, Celadons had already become an international commodity. They discussed details of the newest excavation, history and controversies surrounding a certain item, sizes of the sunken ships, and different cultural influences reflected through the design, shape and prints on the porcelains. Throughout our museum tour, Gabriella took photos of items that caught her attention, raised questions whenever she needed further explanations, and took notes. When we finally bid goodbye to our good archaeologist, Gabriella looks very satisfied, leaving me to wonder which part of their discussion will go into her future books. Coming back from Wenzhou, I finally find time to sit down with Gabriella. I asked her why she's so interested in China's overland and maritime Silk Road trade history. I've always been interested in things related to the Silk Road. I love arts and culture, ancient languages and East and West exchanges and so on. After I came to China, I've been trying to find ways to introduce the Orient and China to the West, especially to my Italian folks. And I think the Silk Road would be a great starter from that communication. For her latest book on the ancient maritime trade routes, Gabriella said she has traveled many coastal cities on this route, looking for new findings and evidence. She'd even got in touch with the descendants of Zheng He, the 15th century great Chinese voyager who had seven times led great voyages on behalf of the Chinese emperor, sailing through the South China Sea, Indian Ocean, Arabian Sea, Red Sea, and along the east coast of Africa. Gabriella finds the voyages of Zheng He's trade fleet well planned. 
They didn't sail straight on for months during the voyages. They usually would dock at ports along the routes every two weeks to replenish their supplies, food, and water. Then continued on with the voyage. It was very scientifically planned. Traveling vastly in China and several times tracing the ancient overland and maritime trade routes between China and the rest of the world. Gabriela has experienced firsthand the changes in the country. Today, she says, highways, high-speed rail, and planes have connected every corner of the country, including places on the ancient Silk Road. One can pretty much reach anywhere one wants to go. When I came to China in 1987, I had traveled along the Silk Road on my own. Traveling was different 30 years ago. Not so convenient as it is now, but what remains unchanged are the arts and culture I discovered along the route. She mentioned Ku Shu Lan, the late Chinese paper cut art master, who has been designated by the UNESCO as a master of China's folk art and crafts, in recognition of excellent paper cut art. Ku had lived her entire life in rural Shanxi. When Gabriela stood in front of Ku's cave-style house on the Yellow Plateau, Ku had already passed away. She had lived a hard life in poverty. Her husband didn't treat her well. She toiled on the land and suffered from illness. But her love for paper-cut art was her savior. Her paper cuts are typically bright and colorful. She plastered the inside wall of her cave home with her paper cut works. People who visited her home say it reminds them of the mural art at Mogao Grottoes. The great paper cut master created a colorful world out of her harsh life. You've been listening to Footprints. We'll take a short break here. When we come back, we'll continue with the story of Gabriella Bonino, an Italian woman who has spent 37 years living in China. July the 15th, Rian. We're in a car hitting the road again. Our destination, Taoshan Town, under the administration of Rian. We will visit some local intangible cultural heritage inheritors together with Gabriella. Such visits are just a monthly routine for her. Over the past two years, Gabriella has made numerous visits to dozens of such arts and crafts practitioners. Our first stop is the color stone sculpture artisan Li Chengzhe and his father's studio. The father and son had recently finished their grand project, a colorstone sculpture replica of the famous Song Dynasty scroll painting, along the river during the Qingming Festival, a marvelous masterpiece that took them nearly four years to finish. Colorstone sculpture is the art of cutting and sculpting stones into three-dimensional shapes, then fitting them into designated inlay places on a board according to design. Such works bring together the features of paintings, the vividness of sculptures, and the lively colors of natural stones. Even for a talented person, the craft requires several dozen years to fully master. 
Half an hour has gone by. We are still driving on the road. Outside the window are rolling hills and patches after patches of green farm fields. How does Gabriella find her way here from Rian? I wonder. I usually take the shuttle bus. There is a bus between Rayan and Taoshao Town. I'll first get to the long-distance bus station in Rayan. From there, take a long-distance bus to Taoshao Station. There, I get on a random three-wheeler tuk-tuk scooter to the villages. Forty minutes per journey. Just about. But I'm all right with it. Some of the arts and crafts masters have become my friends now, so it's pleasant to visit them. Some say, if you love what you do, you don't feel tired. With Gabriella, who's passionate about cultural heritage, it seems true. Finally, we're nearly there, the Colorstone Sculpture Studio. How young and worldly cab driver who took us from Rian to Taoshan Township is now driving a bit hesitantly, finding his car himself on the narrow dirt country road that winds through the sugarcane fields. Gabriella confidently directs him the way. Li Chengzhe and his family are already waiting for us outside the studio. It's apparent Gabriella is a welcomed guest here. Li Chengzhe told me he sees Gabriella as an elder sister. She loves Rian and Wenzhou's intangible cultural heritage. Four years ago, she came to Taoshan Town all along specifically to look for me. She saw our sculpture work and she fell in love with it. Every month, she travels down here several times to check on our progress. She truly puts her heart into it. She wrote it in her book, and upon publication of her book in Italy, it created a buzz there, and our work won a lot of praise. We are super happy. She is an honorary citizen of Wenzhou. We are proud she's one of us. The studio stands in the middle of sugarcane fields. It's definitely not the kind of a posh, air-conditioned studios you find in cities. Inside the studio, a few huge fans are working furiously to cool down the studio in the summer heat. Noise from Sanders working in another room merrily joins in our conversation from time to time. But all the noise becomes non-existent the moment people set their eyes on the grand colorstone sculpture work along the river during the Qingming Festival, displayed horizontally in four rows in the spacious studio. Like the original painting, which offers a panoramic view of the prosperous street scenes of the Song Dynasty capital Bianjing during the Qingming Festival period, the Colorstone sculpture piece also has depicted several thousand human figures, animals, trees, objects, carved masterfully, with the finest details well treated. Li Chengzhe gives us more details about this breathtakingly beautiful masterpiece. This is an exact replica of the original painting, with four times magnification. 
Our work measures one meter in width and 20 meters long. We replicated every detail from the original painting and gave every figure or object a three-dimensional form through our stone sculpture techniques before we fitted everything in on the backboard. It's challenging work. They have carried this craft on for generations. The father has works on this art for a lifetime. Now the son, Li Chengzhe, is carrying on with the marvelous craft. Intangible cultural heritages are precious, yet many heritages face a common challenge, which is a lack of interest in them from the younger generation. Will Italian people understand Chinese intangible heritages? I feel Italians can easily understand China's intangible cultural heritage because we are a country full of intangible cultural heritages too. They're close to people's lives, so easily approachable for most. It's also a good carrier for both peoples to understand each other more. Gabriella comes from Turin. Incidentally, Turin and Wenzhou are international twin cities. When her book, Discovering Wenzhou, was published in Italy, the mayor of Turin read it. The mayor of Turin read my books, Discovering Wenzhou, and Ray An Intangible Cultural Heritage, and he found them a good read. He also thinks having a foreigner write about the city they live in offers an interesting perspective. Seven hundred years ago, Marco Polo came to China via the Silk Road, fascinated by it, and stayed here for seventeen years. Now, at age seventy, Gabriella Bonino, who spent twice as much time in China as Marco Polo, is still passionately living and recording the genuine life and culture of China, and she says she will continue with her writing. I'm glad my books and my articles can help people, including those who haven't got a chance to visit such a faraway country, to know more about China. It's all worthwhile. With that, we concluded this episode of Footprints. Thanks for listening. I'm Ningjin. Bye for now. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related: the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. Jason Smith here, host of the Bridge. Hey guys, this is He Yang with Roundtable. This is Xu Yawen with World Today. May the year of the Chinese Dragon bring you a tide of strength, success, and good fortune. May you be great and unstoppable as a dragon soaring through the oceans. 蛟龙得水，事业腾飞。And I want to wish you, your families, and loved ones good luck. Happiness and prosperity in the new year. I would like to wish you 龙年大吉，大展宏图 and may you achieve great success in your endeavors. Happy Chinese New Year! 新年快乐。Takeaway Chinese. 
where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Take away Chinese. We will promise you a difference. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From north to south, east to west. People in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 